Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, called Open the Eyes of My Heart. We are in the book of Ephesians in your New Testament, so please turn there, Ephesians chapter 1, as we look at one of the most glorious letters in all the Bible about your identity in Jesus Christ. Tonight's message is open the eyes of my heart, open the eyes of my heart to see who I am in Christ. I think for us as believers, one thing that we recognize as we go throughout our lives is that one of the most important things that you need to know as a believer is who you are in Christ. Once you know who you are, it helps you to know where you're going. Amen? And that's true in a lot of things in life, but spiritually speaking, it's so important that you know your identity in Christ. So the letter to the Ephesians could be split this way. Chapters 1 through 3 talk about the wealth of the believer. And we've been over this, but if you haven't been with us, I'll just reiterate this. Chapters 4 and 5 and into chapter 6 talk about the walk of the believer. First, you have to know how rich you are. Then you find out how to walk in response to that. And chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, talk about the warfare of the believer. The wealth, the walk, and the warfare. Okay, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for tonight and thank you for the wonderful time of worship. Thank you that our hearts, as we worship you, well, you touch us back. I mean, that's just the reality. You inhabit the praises of your people. You just, you bless us with your presence, God. And it's so neat to be worshiping you corporately as well and worshiping you in spirit and in truth with your precious people. And so tonight we want to just lay this time of Bible study at your glorious feet that you might guide us, give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church, that we might respond as your bride, as your people. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know a lot of your hearts are heavy today because you heard of the Supreme Court decision. Um, And, you know, this has been happening for quite some time now in America, uh, this push to normalize homosexuality. And not that homosexuality, biblically speaking, is uh, to be separated from lists of a lot of other sins, like adultery, and we could talk about fornication, and we could talk about uh, drug use, and we can talk about lying and a lot of things. Uh, We can talk about idolatry. But the push in our society to normalize something that God will not bless is a mistake. It's It's a big mistake. And it's going to be a slippery slope for America by pushing this view. But I'll tell you what concerns me more than what the world thinks. What concerns me is that the church can't keep this one straight. They've now taken some recent polls, and I think it's 60 to 61% of Americans are now saying they're in favor of gay marriage. Now, that poll that's taken includes evangelical Christians. The thing that we don't often hear about is that professing evangelical churches are often compromising on these issues. And look, we want to be people who love everybody. That's not the issue. But the issue is, ultimately, we need to love God first and what he says. And so I think what we should be praying in, re- in regard to this issue about 
the definition of marriage is that the church would understand this issue clearly and not back down from the biblical stance. That's, that's the most important thing. We need to do it. Uh, our language should always be seasoned with salt. We should know how to answer everybody. We should be gracious and loving to those who are struggling with sin, but we cannot wink at sin and we can't call something good that God calls evil. Now, we're in the book of Ephesians, and and I'm going to talk about this for a moment, because we're in a letter that takes the concept of marriage and elevates it to the picture of Christ and his church. See, what's at stake is not just a moral debate in our culture. As important as that is, that marriage is actually a picture of Christ and his bride. And when you begin to muddy that picture, what you begin to do is compromise the gospel. See, many people don't see the big picture. The big picture of this is that marriage is something much bigger than a state seal on a certificate or marriage bennies that you get, you know, that you're trying to reach for in this life. It has to do with Christ and his bride. And as a matter of fact, when you look at it, it's the oldest institution in the world. Before there was ever government, before there was ever a church, there was a husband and wife. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And Paul picks that up in Ephesians 5 and he says, this mystery is great, but I speak of Christ and the church. So what we shouldn't forget as the people of God is that when marriage is at stake, I suppose the world's definition is going to be the world's definition. But for us as Christians, we need to be clear on what marriage means. Marriage is a constant message to the world. And when your marriage is right, and it's never going to be perfect, we all know that, right? Okay, we're going to have some bumps, we're going to have some times when marriage is easy, and then there's going to be times when marriage is rough. And if anybody tells you that they've never argued with their spouse, tell them they've broken one of the commandments, okay? But... Marriage is the school of discipleship. There is no place in life that you will be more tested to love somebody consistently to the end, no matter what comes your way, as in your marriage. That's why it's a picture of the gospel. Because that's what God does for us. On our bad hair days, when we don't have it all together, When we're not doing good, he still loves us. And that's what marriage is intended to display. A covenant of grace that our God has made with us. Now, that's what's at stake. And so I pray that we'll kind of widen our view in terms of just looking at this issue. Now, in Ephesians 1, we're continuing at the wealth of the believer. Paul wants to make sure you know who you are before he talks about what you should be doing. And so we need wisdom on this subject. Warren Wiersbe tells the story of how William Randolph Hearst once read of an extremely valuable piece of art, which he decided he must add to his extensive collection. He instructed his agent to scour the galleries of the world to find the masterpiece. He was determined to have it at any price. After many months of painstaking research, the agent reported that the piece already belonged to Mr. Hearst and had been stored in one of his warehouses for many years. He already owned the piece of art that he was scouring the landscape for. He just didn't know it because he had so much stuff it was in one of his warehouses. Now the analogy, I think, uh, hits home. For so many Christians, we're looking for that next thing. We're looking for maybe that secret pill, that magic key that's going to improve our Christian life. And if we can find it, then somehow we think we're going to be better. 
But Paul's going to make the case in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 that you already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. What you need to do is realize who you are. You already own the painting, if you will. And you need to realize now how to plug into the power source that you have. So that's the key knowing who you are, and then how to walk. And that's exactly the structure of the book. And then in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, Paul's going to tell you about an enemy who wants to take that away from you. He wants you to live as if you're not wealthy. He wants you to live as if you're not saved. He wants you to be in a total uh, position where you're sidelined because you're confused about who you are and how you plug into the power source. And that's why Paul will spend the first five chapters making sure you understand this because once you do, the enemy has no upper hand. Now, after he does this, of course, he will tell us about how to put on the things that God has given to us. For example, and we'll skip ahead for a moment so you can see the application. In Ephesians 4.24, Paul will give us an application point. And just to give you a a big picture view, he will tell us one way that we put on the things that God has freely given to us in Christ is in Ephesians 4.24, we are to put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put on the new self. Second thing is found in Ephesians 5.18. If you want to appropriate the promises of God, Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. The Greek there, the tense of the Greek is be kept being filled with the Spirit. Plerao is the Greek word. It means to be Uh, uh, filled, saturated, the power of the wind blowing the sails, permeating your life. That's the idea. And uh, Ephesians 5.18, and then in uh, Ephesians 6, look at verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See the next two words? 6.11, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to take your stand or stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So what do you do? Once you know who you are, then there is a, there is a, a layout of this book. You put on the new self, and that has to be a consistent thing that we do. You get filled with the Spirit. That has to be a consistent thing that we do. And you put on the armor of God, and that has to be a consistent thing that we do. Okay? Now, those are the chapters that are coming ahead of us. But first, I mentioned to you, we need to know the wealth of the believer. Now, we just finished Ephesians 1. Uh, we went up to verse uh, 14. I told you that verses 3 through 14 are the longest sentence in the Bible. They are 203 words in a single sentence in Greek. Some of you said, but there's periods and commas in my Bible. That's the English translation. It's one sentence in Greek, okay? I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know a little bit of Greek. But all the Greek scholars say it's one sentence in Greek. So just trust me, that's what it is. 203 words about all these riches. Paul touches on election predestination, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, insight, our inheritance in Christ, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and him being the pledge of our future inheritance. Now that's a mouthful. That's one sentence in Ephesians, right? Telling you who you are in Christ Jesus. And now Paul's going to say, I've heard about you guys. I've heard about your faith. The, the church at Ephesus was known for their faith, and this was a letter that was circulated wider than the Church of Ephesus, but we can still apply this to them. And notice it says, For this reason I too, Ephesians 1.15, have heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Michael Lance says it at the end of each week, get to church. Fellowship is important. If you live in Southern California, make sure you visit the church Pastor Michael has the honor of serving as senior pastor. Living Truth Christian Fellowship is in the city of Corona on 1009 Arsenal Way. You can learn more about the church on walkintruth.com. If you listen to Walk in Truth and you're nowhere near Southern California, Pastor Michael would ask that you make an effort to get into fellowship. Being alone is needed sometimes, but it's not the way the Lord would have you live. Pastor Michael and the whole Walk in Truth team pray you get to church this week and learn more about Pastor Michael Lance, the mission of Walk in Truth, and our church at walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Ephesians 1, uh, we went up to verse uh, 14. I told you that verses 3 through 14 are the longest sentence in the Bible. They are 203 words in a single sentence in Greek. Some of you said, but there's periods and commas in my Bible. That's the English translation. It's one sentence in Greek, okay? I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know a little bit of Greek. But all the Greek scholars say it's one sentence in Greek. So just trust me, that's what it is. 203 words about all these riches. Paul touches on election, predestination, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, insight, our inheritance in Christ, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and him being the pledge of our future inheritance. Now that's a mouthful. That's one sentence in Ephesians, right? Telling you who you are in Christ Jesus. And now Paul's going to say, I've heard about you guys. I've heard about your faith. The, the church at Ephesus was known for their faith, and this was a letter that was circulated wider than the church, church of Ephesus, but we can still apply this to them. And notice it says, for this reason, I too, Ephesians 1.15 have heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and, second thing in verse 15, your love for all the saints. Now, two things about the church at Ephesus, and it may be neighboring churches around them, they had faith in the Lord Jesus, and they had, second thing, look at the end of verse 15, love for how many? For all the saints. 1 John 3.14 says, you know that you've passed out of death into life because you love God's people. Now, we were just in a potluck. We all love potlucks because there's usually cookies, right? And there's food. But we love the fellowship, right? It's, it's, it's something that as a Christian, I have uh, just come to really appreciate. And one other thing that has come to light is that Christians kind of like each other. Uh, they do a whole lot of hugging. And uh, there's even a couple guys in the fellowship, I'll admit this publicly, that do kiss me on the cheek. Now, we talk about football right after they do that, but anyway. <laughs> but you know what? Scholars believe that the holy kiss actually goes all the way back to Jesus. And it's practiced in Europe and in different places now. You'll see it with a little kiss on the cheek in an appropriate way. And Christians are, are to express love. And 
when you think about it, verse 14 talked about we are, uh, the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance, and we share that together. And he is the seal in verse 13. You were sealed, end of 13, with the Holy Spirit of promise. If you want to think about the seal is the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the outworking of that seal is faith and love. Faith and love. If you wanted to know two things that ought to mark Christians, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love. And if you have the vertical one right, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, think of the cross, you'll have the horizontal one right, you'll have love for all the brethren. Now, admittedly, some brethren are harder to love than others. Let's face it. You know, we click with certain people easier than we click with other people. But the cool thing about the presence of the Holy Spirit is that the preeminent fruit of the Spirit is love. And then scholars believe that every other fruit that follows from there is simply a branch off the root or off the trunk of love. So joy is love singing and patience is the long suffering of love. And as you go down the list, scholars like to say the trunk is love. It's the preeminent fruit. And then what flows from that, the other nine or other eight fruits listed there in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are all virtues of love. If I say that, you know, I have... Um, all these uh, wonderful gifts, but I don't have love. You know what I become? I become a clanging cymbal. Now, I'm a drummer, and I get offended when people don't like cymbals, just so you know that about me. <laughs> but, but anyway, but there is something really annoying about a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I used to play the drums when I was growing up. I grew up in an Italian household, and I had my drum set upstairs in a two-story home. And my Italian grandmother would often be downstairs in her chair. She'd be cooking something. And I'd come downstairs and she said, Michael, what are you doing up there? And I said, I'm playing the drums. She said, all I hear is the ba-boom, the ba-boom, the ba-boom. Play something. And I said, Grandma, I am playing something. Yo, you're not. The ba-boom, the ba-boom. Anyway, that was Grandma's ba-boom theology. Now, he had learned uh, a couple things about this church. They had faith and love. I want to give you an application point. Always try to fail on the side of love. Let everything you do be done in love. Now, that doesn't mean that everything you do is syrupy and sappy. Love will speak the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. See, we have the wrong definition. When I said that, a lot of you thought, oh, because your definition of love is not maybe a biblical definition. You know, that doesn't mean that you don't speak the truth. That doesn't mean you sweep everything under the rug. But it does mean that oftentimes love, you know, covers a multitude of sins. It does mean that you bring somebody off to the side to protect their reputation as best you can. You know what I'm saying? And so Paul says, you have these two things going for you and Paul's going to pray for them. He says, I do not cease. He praises them and then he prays for them. I do not see 16 giving thanks for you. Notice what a man of prayer Paul was. While making mention of you in my prayers. Paul says, I don't stop giving thanks for you guys. Wow. Can you imagine if you could capture a little bit of that prayer life? You think your attitude would change? And by the way, where is he writing the letter from? Prison. And he says, I don't stop giving thanks to God for you. Wow. Awesome. True faith cannot exist apart from true love. And these are the tests. And so I would say, since the title of our message is Open My Eyes, Lord, Open the Eyes of My Heart, I would say 
one prayer that I have as I go through the text is open my eyes to your lordship and my love for others. Let it be your love that goes through me. Now turn to 1 John, all the way almost to Revelation. Let me show you a couple things that John says about love. 1 John 3, 14. He says, we know, 1 John 3, 14, we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren or God's people. He who does not love abides in death. That's a straightforward thought, isn't it? 1 John 3.15 Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever, 1 John 3.17, has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. I heard an interview recently with Bono, the lead singer for U2. He's been a controversial figure about some of his activities in the world and maybe even some of his theology. And I don't know much about his theology. But in a half an hour interview with a focus on the family president, Jim Daly, Bono had some really cool things to say. He says he's a believer in Jesus Christ and he's gone around the world to try to deal with the AIDS epidemic, to deal with uh, countries where people are not free and he's petitioned the U.S. government to, to intervene in some of these cases and our government actually has responded. Uh, these are things that we don't often hear about America but we have responded to some of these situations and I was impressed with, he was, he was talking about the fact that we can have all the theology right But if we lack the action, then we've missed it. If you look at 1 John 3, 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue. Don't just say it, but what? In deed and truth. You've been listening to Open the Eyes of My Heart, part one on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians chapter one, verses 15 through 23. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can always listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Pastor Michael would like you to mark your calendar for August 22nd for our next 633 event. Now, more details to come, and we're super excited to let you know who our next guest speaker is going to be. But for now, just remember August 22nd. Our 633 apologetic events are free for you to attend, both in person and through our live stream. And we open the floor so you can ask questions too. So if you have not seen one of our 633 events, you can always watch previous ones on walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael. Well, maybe you feel right now that your eyes have been kind of closed to the things of God. You're a Christian. You've had an encounter with the Lord, but open the eyes of my heart, man. It's hard for you even to get those words out because things have been tough and it's been a tough stretch for a lot of people. And maybe you're there right now. And and I think this would be a prayer that Paul would have for you, that your eyes would be open to all that you have in Christ, even though you may lack right now, even though you're hurting and maybe loss is a good way to define where you're at right now. This prayer is for you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, 
so that I can see who I am in you. You know, the old chorus says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. And I think that captures the essence of it, brother, sister, because when we see him for who he is, everything else falls into place. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that we get overwhelmed by and consumed by will be added unto us. My prayer for you is that your eyes will be open to the beauty of the Lord and how the Lord sees you as beautiful. Sometimes it's hard for us to fathom that because we get beat up and things get skewed sometimes in this world and maybe you've been pounded on by you know, words that have hurt you or people who have let you down. He is faithful. So fix your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. Hey, if you need help, we're here Tuesday through Friday. We'd be happy to pray with you. We're here 9 to 4 Pacific time. Pastors are available at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. This is Pastor Michael Lance. We're studying the book of Ephesians. We're glad you're with us. Hey, have a tremendous weekend. I look forward to uh, being with you on Sunday for many of you and back on Monday for more in the book of Ephesians. We'll see you then. Have a great weekend. And one more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations. So praise God. Hey, if you're a longtime listener, please become a partner of at least $5 a month. You can visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us on Monday on this station for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23, called Open the Eyes of My Heart. I'm Mike Massaro. Hey, have a great weekend, and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.